You can support this podcast at patreon.com slash partners in crime media. Little Comfort is a hauntingly twisted psychological thriller by Edwin Hill. Set among Boston's elite, it introduces an unforgettable four foot nine investigator named Hester Thursby, whose missing person's case uncovers a trail of vicious murder and stolen identities. Twelve years ago, two teenage friends ran away, reinventing themselves again and again as they roamed the country, preying on the wealthy. Now the brilliant and conflicted Hester is on their trail. Little Comfort by Edwin Hill is now available everywhere books are sold. Visit edwin-hill.com for more info. That's edwin-hill.com. I'm Rebecca Lavoy, and this is Crime Writers On, the podcast about other podcasts and also about true crime, pop culture, TV, journalism. And this week, we head back to the lake to make Dirty Money Clean with Ozark's second season. Then we'll look at the podcast dubbed The Next Dirty John. It's Dr. Death from Wondery, an investigation into a Texas surgeon who really doesn't know the meaning of do no harm. Joining me to get all that done and a whole lot more is my true crime co-author and real-life husband, Kevin Flynn. Hello, Kevin. Hello. I said it like Laura did, so she's going to have to say it in a different way this week. <laughs> also with us is true crime author, journalist, former defense investigator, licensed private investigator, and certified cat lady, Laura Bricker. Hello, Laura Bricker. Hello, Rebecca Lavoy. Very good. That's still pretty much the same. Very official. pretty much the same. <laughs> yeah. And finally with us, our resident Doubting Thomas, the novelist behind the acclaimed City Trilogy, and our Patreon-exclusive book club host, Toby Ball. Hello, Toby. Hello, Rebecca. <laughs> no. <laughs> trying to be like Wondery. Well, too. Probably not very successfully. <laughs> Cue the very literal music. <laughs> now, Toby, you did record another patron exclusive book club podcast. It's going to be dropping sometime in the next few days. Awesome. Uh, can you just tell us very briefly what that podcast is about? So if folks want to go and support us on Patreon, they have a reason to do so. The reason that you would do so is because it's... Me and uh, Laura Bricker and Katie from Date with Dateline and Rabia Chaudhry talking about a book called uh, The Fact of a Body, uh, which is both sort of a memoir and a true crime story. It's a very interesting read. Like if you read it, you definitely want to listen to the discussion. But the discussion is pretty good. Anyway, we, we, we discuss a bunch of sort of interesting things that are sort of related to the book, but you don't have to have read the book, I think, to, to get something out of it. Right. Now, Laura, you had never spoken with Rabia before. I didn't realize I, I was connecting you all for the recording. And it's always fun to... Um, I, I had forgotten that Laura had never met Robbie before, mm-hmm. but yeah. of course, you know, Kimberly was like, oh my God, it's such a pleasure to meet you, Robbie. <laughs> People are such huge fans. But I forgot, Laura, you had never talked to her before. How was that for I you? I know. I was so excited. I, I feel like totally left out. I mean, you guys have all met Patrick Hines. You've all met Robbie or talked to Robbie. I'm like, you know, I need to catch up here. So it was very exciting. I did try to entice her to come and visit Exeter like I do with everybody. <laughs> Bring Mr. Beans. Mm. Yeah. So it was it was great to finally um, actually talk to her and instead of just in the Twitterverse, actually in person. Yeah. Can, can I sp- spill a little tea about Rabia? Uh, is yes. it going to be embarrassing? No, not terribly embarrassing. So we went <laughs> we went to Rabia's home once to have uh, a nice lunch when we were in the uh, in the area. You've been there once. I've been there many times. Uh, okay, I went there once. <laughs> yeah. And uh we're sitting in in the uh, the kitchen. I could keep hearing like something chirp. 
Oh my then, God, yes. Chirp. And I'm like, that sounds like a fire alarm. Smoke detector. Smoke detector where the batteries are about to die. And I kind of like looked around and, you, you know, I said, hey, Robbie, you're not, you know, not to get nosy, but I was like, it became a topic of discussion. So I was kind of looking around for like, well, where is that coming from? And, um, you know, weeks later, Rebecca is going through some audio tape from Rabia's, <laughs> and she can still hear on the tape. Oh, yeah. The smoke detector. It was, still like, going it was like a year oh, no. of, of me, like, <laughs> editing around smoke detector chirping for Undisclosed. I'm not kidding. Like, she couldn't oh, even hear no. it anymore. <gasps> she just become ear blind. would not be happy to hear this <laughs> at all, Rabia. Oh, no. But, Rebecca, you said very recently she... Found? She finally changed the batteries. Yes. Changed the battery. Or the battery just died finally. It's been resolved. It's been resolved. Uh, yes. Their whole house could burn down and they wouldn't know. But yeah. apparently we don't even have that chirping anymore. Yeah. <laughs> Podcast celebrities. They're just like us. <laughs> well, I just finally changed a light bulb in the kitchen that's been out for like four months. So I, yes. and I, I was like waiting for Ken to do it. And I'm like, you know, I think I'm just going to have to do this myself. Mm. It's, I'm going to have to get out the little step stool because I'm only four foot nine and put the uh, light bulb in. <laughs> So, you're solving some mysteries <laughs> with their tiny little hands. <laughs> it's a lot brighter uh, in my kitchen now, too. Uh, Laura Bricker, the, the Carrie Strug of the crime writers. <laughs> 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 All right, well. Big news this week, Kevin. Can you please read one of these for me? True, True crime, crime podcast, podcast updates. It's the one we've been waiting for. <laughs> Huge news this week. After long, long, long last, Sarah Koenig and the crew at Serial dropped something in our feeds announcing the arrival of the much-anticipated season three. The grand dam of podcasting will return September 20th with a new take on the American criminal justice system. If you've listened to Serial before, you probably know that our first season was about a murder case in Baltimore. Ever since that story aired, people have asked me and the people I work with, what does that case tell us about the criminal justice system? And the answer is the case of Anand Syed wasn't typical in any way. Defendant with no criminal record, private defense attorney, rarest of all, a six-week trial. The vast majority of cases don't even go to trial. I don't think we can understand how the criminal justice system works by interrogating one extraordinary case. Ordinary cases are where we need to look. Instead of diving into a single story and telling it week after week, Sarah and the serial team will present what they found after spending a year in a Cleveland courthouse. So what this means for us, listeners, you may be wondering, uh, for those of you who've been with us a long time, you know that covering Serial week to week is how we started this little podcast. And we are and how we'll end it. And how we're going to be doing it again this time, uh, barring some sort of horrible circumstance, a.k.a. if Serial turns out to be terrible, which I doubt it will be. We are planning to cover Serial week to week, which means... We're going to be doing a slight schedule change for the next few weeks while Serial is dropping. What? We are going back to weekly episodes. This is the first of our return to weekly episodes. Mm -hmm. But instead of dropping our episodes on Friday mornings, we're going to be dropping them on Monday mornings. Because, as you all know, Serial comes out on Thursdays. And we can't time travel. <laughs> and <laughs> and uh, this podcast does take a long time to put together after we record. So I just need a little extra time. So we're going to do one of those crappy podcasts where we just 
go on the air and throw the microphone on and have all these hiccups and <laughs> rough edges. Coughing. Coughing. <laughs> Toby's burping. <laughs> oh. We're a lot of burping. Yeah. <laughs> Flatulence. No, we're going to make it sound good. No, we want to make it sound okay. good. And we're going to talk about other stuff, too, uh, during the run of cereal. But we are going to be switching our drop day to Monday. So... For those of you who've already written us emails about it after our little mini uh, preview trailer that we dropped last week, sorry, that's what's happening. You can still save that episode for the following weekend if you'd like. Of course, then you'll be behind, so you probably don't want to do that. Let's talk about what we heard in that trailer. Uh, What do you think we can expect here? It sounds a little bit like This American Life. It sounds a little bit like Serial. It sounds a little bit like something new, but it also sounds familiar. Kevin, what were your impressions of what you heard in the Serial trailer? Yeah, it uh, reminds me, or I guess my expectation would be that it'd be a little more like This American Life than it would be of Serial Season 1. In fact, I don't think they'll ever be, uh, a Serial will ever attempt to do another murder mystery. Um, I think they'd be crazy to do it because, I mean, they really caught lightning in a bottle. And although there are hundreds of millions of Serial fans, some of them... I would say a lot of them are going to be disappointed that it's just not the next mystery of the week kind mm. of thing. But it is going to be looking at sort of the nexus between the other two seasons, where we look at, at both Adan Syed and Bo Bergdahl about how the system works. This is a look at the system and from the inside and how it works. Right. Toby, what were your impressions when you heard the trailer for the next season of Serial? What do you think and what are you expecting to hear? Well, you know, it's something that I think in concept I'm really excited for because I think this is, you know, I've talked about in the past that this is something that really sort of examines the whole system rather than these individual cases, no matter how sort of how they exemplify like sort of the larger problems, but take a look at the whole system. It sounds like they've got like incredible access. So I would say my expectations or my hopes are pretty high for it. But again, you know, it's it's slightly different from what they've done in the past. So it'll be kind of interesting to see how they address that, the sort of mosaic format rather than the sort of one story told week by week. Laura, what are your thoughts on this? I mean, as the a person among us who has spent the most time inside regular yeah. cases in a regular yeah. criminal justice system, yeah. what did you think when you heard what you heard in that serial trailer? I think I'm going to be feeling very nostalgic for my time at the Public Defender because as I was listening to this, I was like, yes. I have lived this, um, I have been on the inside. And so I think it's going to be really interesting to see, you know, what information she is able to get. But, you know, I, I lived through a lot of these little cases where, you know, you think they're innocent, you think they're guilty, you think maybe they are guilty, but the process isn't fair how they're being handled. So there's a lot that goes into all sorts of cases, not just, you know, high profile murder cases on a daily basis. And um, it's going to be interesting to see, you know, if she includes the human backstory in terms of these people's personal life circumstances that led them to being arrested. And that's the part that I always felt like, you know, when I had been a newspaper reporter before I went to do defense work, I think that's the part that a lot of times got left out because that was something that people weren't necessarily willing to share with right. the news media. Right. When I was a defense investigator, obviously I heard all of it because I was doing social backgrounds on people and trying to find mitigating circumstances. So that's the part I think I'm looking forward to hearing. Hmm. Well, I'm looking forward to hearing a little bit of Sarah's journey. I mean, I think, you know, in retrospect, obviously, you know, people are critical of Serial Season 1. I think it's very easy to Monday morning quarterback it four years later and forget 
what it was when mm-hmm. it was new mm-hmm. because you know you can say she didn't do the case the service it deserved you can say you know different aspects of how the story was reported but you know my my standing criticism of serial season one and my standing criticism of Sarah Koenig's style even though of course I admire her pretty much more than I admire anybody else in our business is that she does attack stories sometimes with a sort of naivete where she will when she's tackling a complicated uh, problem present a dichotomy you know with a non it was either he's innocent or he's a psychopath and we heard that even in this trailer, we hear her, you know, talking about that guy and whether or not he should be pleading guilty, pleading mm-hmm. out, defending mm-hmm. himself. And she says, you know, my thought was, if Greg Rucker was risking that much prison time and if he was so sure of his case that he wanted to argue it alone without the interference of a lawyer, either Greg Rucker was innocent or he was bonkers. He's either not guilty or he's in, he's bananas. It's always like that dichotomy. And she did have some naivete, I think, in Serial Season 1 and in the Bergdahl season, just around, she she does... Is naivete or is that curiosity? Well, no, there's naivete where she assumes good actors when I don't think that if you look at the pattern broadly, like the evidence of the good actors is there in the way that she assumes it to be. I mean, we heard it in her, you know, Episode 7 of Serial Season 1 when she was talking to the Innocence Project and, you know, Deirdre Enright said that she really read a lot of racial overtones in the Anand Syed file. And, and I'm you know, a little concerned about racial profiling here, you know. Oh, really? Um, on, on, on the part of Anand. In other words, like uh, he's a Pakistani uh, Muslim. And- right. And people are saying, you know, his dark side. And, you know, Sarah's like, really? I don't know. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I am interested to see and I think that what could happen in this season. And I, I do think it would be a mistake for Sarah to not inject some of her own experience here. I do think we could end up with some sort of personal journey mixed with these stories. And I hope we do, because to me, that's what makes Serial stand out. And that's what will, I mean, after what In the Dark did with season two, you know, a story about the criminal justice system being broken is going to have to be spectacular to be better than what they did. It's going to have to be spectacular. The the bar is so much higher now than it was for serial season one that just seems so revolutionary mm. at the time yep uh as far as the storytelling goes largely due to serial the storytelling has gotten so good and the the reporting has gotten so good in some instances that uh you know i think to distinguish itself it's going to have to be superior yep th- to season one but i think the one thing that that i've i've kind of felt like she does better than than anybody else has done is where you're you're sort of feeling shift mm. after each successive episode. Like you, you feel like you have a, a different like lens on something or a different viewpoint or something suddenly changes. And that's what I kind of felt she did the best yeah. that still really holds up. Like I, I haven't had the, had that sort of urge to talk about the last episode of any other podcast the way it was with Serial. Mm. So I'm kind of hoping that she can recreate that. Yeah, and I, I think that this team too, you know, this team was born of the This American Life team. They do the embedded story better than anybody else. Some of the most fascinating episodes of This American Life have been embedded stories. There was a whole episode where they embedded it with a car dealership. Mm-hmm. That's one of the most mm. spectacular hours of radio I've ever yeah. heard. They did the one at the rest stop when they had all those uh, J-1 visa students working at this like upstate New York rest stop and these like terrible fast food jobs and they just spent the whole like overnight shift on a weekend with these mm-hmm. kids like it's they're good at, they're good at this so even if it's you know doesn't reach all our expectations it's going to be good i'm sure it's going to be good and of course we'll be right there covering it 
moment by moment. Yeah, I have no doubt that it will be a quality piece. I think that people will complain about what it is. Mm. You know? Haters going to hate Kevin. Yeah. (laughs) I'm just looking forward to the golden. It's like we're returning to the golden age of Crime Writers On now. That's right. Mm. That's right. The week-to-week serial. I'm I'm looking forward to this. I'm looking forward to it, too. The good old days. I'm looking forward to it, too. All right. Well, let's move on and discuss some content on our show, shall we, Kevin? All right. Now we're going to revisit Netflix's hit crime show, Ozark, the drama starring Jason Bateman and Laura Linney that combines white-collar crime and redneck gothic returns for a second season. We know that Marty Bird launders millions of dollars a year for the Navarro cartel. What we need to know are the details of how he does it. You do realize that you're betting everything on being able to pull this off. Yeah. Came as some surprise. Spoken to his eyes. You're a businessman. Thought you died alone. Not a killer. We find the birds again caught between the Mexican cartel and the hillbilly poppy growers who threaten their family. Their attempt to build a riverboat casino in order to launder the local drug money is met with complication after complication. Does this new installment live up to the show's mesmerizing debut? Now, we will be giving away some spoilers for Ozark's second season. So if you want to skip that part of our discussion, just go to the time code found in the show notes to get our thumbs up or thumbs down review to find out if we think you should check it out. Now, I think it would be disingenuous to not come out right out of the gate and address one huge change from Ozark season one to Ozark season two. This show got super dark in a way that I don't remember feeling like it was in season one. It was dark, but it also had a lot of light moments. And this season, noticeably, those moments were absent. Thoughts, Kevin? You mean it was darker than the baby getting ripped out of the mother? And then we think the pastor is going to drown him in the last (laughs) scene of the... There was plenty of dark material in season one. But there was also plenty of, like, in some ways, family hijinks of, like, Mm -hmm. the kids learning that their parents were criminals and, like, sort of the way they dealt with that. And Uh sort of, like, the more bumbling aspects of, you know, regular people who are now running, like, a criminal empire. So I think it struck all the same notes on that. Mm. So I, I see what you're saying. I'm, I'm, it also had sort of that um, mixed in normalcy mm-hmm. uh, along with the incredible criminal complications <laughs> that just kept coming. I think what I'm talking about with season one is we saw them learning how to do this in season one. Mm-hmm. And now they're jaded. It just got super dark and very complicated. Laura, what do you think? Yeah, I agree with you, Rebecca. I mean, even the atmosphere was dark. I mean, it was like always cloudy mm. or overcast. Mm-hmm. There was never like a sunny day. Um, except when their poppy field went up in a blaze of fire um, (laughs) at the heroin dealers. But it was, I felt like this whole season, it felt a lot darker and a lot more intense to me because I think a lot of the characters that in the first season were sort of along for the ride, trying to figure out what to do, are now active participants in the criminal enterprise. You know, Laura Linney's character goes from kind of being like, along for the ride, pissed off at her husband, you know, trying to survive to this season, just kind of really almost taking over the reins. And she's like the mastermind of the operation. The kids are in on it this time. You've got all sorts of like creepy stuff going on with Ruth and her father out at the compound. And and then we watch, we can say spoilers here, we watch a guy get incinerated for crying out loud. Mm. I mean, I was like, wow. I mean, it just, I felt like it was, we have drug overdoses. I felt like this whole season was really intense in the pace too. I felt like it was just like one thing after another 
the entire 10 episodes. Like there was, it was like every bad thing that could happen pretty much happened. Yeah, we had the Kansas City mob. We have Rachel ODing. We have Buddy dying. We have everything that's going on in the poppy farm. We have Mason kidnapping Wendy. Toby, I believe that was the storyline that took it over the top for you. The the kidnapping of Wendy by Mason. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I kind of felt like this season, the sort of storytelling, the structure was just right there to see. Like it wasn't... It was it was losing some of the craft that I thought it had in the first season in that, you know, there's this idea for thrillers that you have a protagonist and you have his or her goal. And then you just throw up obstacle after obstacle after obstacle that they have to overcome to achieve it. Right. In this case, I mean, that just seems like so clearly exactly what they did. Mm. They said they'll be like, well, then this will happen and that'll make it harder and this will happen. And then to the point where it gets to, you know, the preacher and uh, that whole plot point, like, A, seemed completely unnecessary. B, was I, I didn't find at all believable. I, and I think there's a lot of places along the way where it just kind of seemed like things happened just to make things more complicated right. for Marty. Yep. But in, the, in this one, it seemed like it came out of nowhere, had no real bearing on the rest of the story. And I know they, like, trade the, – the kid gets traded around a few times to to make some deals, but – you could have done without that. I mean, the big thing was she gets kidnapped. You're not sure who it is at first. It turns out to be the preacher and then they kill him, which adds some stress and there's some timing issues. I mean, and the other thing that, that kind of shows that same issue, which is sort of the transparency of what they're doing is that it seemed like every freaking thing had to happen in 24 or 48 hours. Mm-hmm. Like when they're trying to get the number of casinos raised to 13 and it's like, well, the vote's in 48 hours. Like, haven't you fucking, like, looked into that before? Like, <laughs> this is, like, a last-minute thing for you? Yeah. And then it's like, we need this in 24. It's like everything is, like, it's got to happen next and next. And it's so compressed that I can't believe that the number of people around Marty who die right. doesn't, like, raise some – I don't know why he wouldn't just be taken into custody and, like, look, man, there's, like, four people around you who have died in the last week. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Like something weird's going on. So many deaths this season, yeah. which in some ways uh, makes the slate more open for new characters, which I think the show needs at this point. Mm-hmm. You know, but Toby, but Toby just had something interesting, though, you know, talking about sort of the rules of suspense. You know, your protagonist has to have a goal and then the obstacles in the way of that goal. Was the goal of this season, this, and this is what I struggled with, because I'll just put limit cards on the table. I love this show, and I, mm-hmm. and I looked forward to watching it, but you know, it did feel, I think the seams showing is a really good way to describe it. Is the goal this season to open a casino, and do we give a shit about that? Or is the, the goal USS for them to, MacGuffin? Or is the goal for them to get away? Like, but, but, and do we want them to get away? Because if they get away, they're not going to be here, which is where we want them to be as an audience, so that the story can happen. What do you think, Kevin? Well, I think it's supposed to be you're the going USS along with MacGuffin. the- yeah. <laughs> You're going along for the ride. I know that like people like to compare it to Breaking Bad, and I think you don't, Rebecca. You don't see the comparison. I, I know. I see the comparison. I don't like the comparison. I think it's an unfair comparison. This is a very- The show has a different premise, mm-hmm. but- it is now veering into more of that territory. But, I, but what it does have in common is that you have these characters who have a legitimate talent and have to find a way to use it in the illegitimate world. Right. And we, as the viewer, also don't know much about that illegitimate world, but see it through the obstacle and the viewpoint of this person. So the way uh, Marty Bird has some comparison to Walter White, I think it's in it's in that way. And you wonder, like, at what point, to use the term, 
does the character break bad? Hmm. And while Marty's done you know a lot of bad things, I don't really think Laura he, Linney has broken bad. She's she seems <laughs> to have. So I, I think we're wondering a little more. It's I think it's about the characters, hmm. and you know Marty is an interesting character, and he does now have some blood on his hands, hmm. um, yeah. which some? really bothered him. Well, <laughs> yeah, I think that's the first time you saw him actually kind of start to break a little bit. Yeah. From his pace and his like singular focus that he's had. That's I don't know about you guys. That's when I was like, oh, he's finally breaking a little bit. And his wife is going to have to be the one who steps in now because he just didn't seem to be able to handle it after yeah. he killed that guy. Yeah, he's glib. And he, he's not so glib anymore all of a sudden. I do want to talk about my favorite characters in the show. And to me, this is what makes it different. I mean, because I, I think the focus on the kids on the show the kids are so beautifully cast on this show, and I'm going to mistakenly lump uh, Julia Garner, who plays Ruth, in with the kids. I'm talking mm-hmm. about the younger set of actors on this show mm-hmm. who really drive the story. Um, first of all, the actors who play the kids are so good, and it is so hard to cast and get kids and young people who can act as well as these young people can act. The whole idea, and I think it was a fun twist that, very unrealistic, I'm sure Toby's going to like completely disagree, but Jonah the son, you know, applying his gaming talents and being <laughs> able to do shit on the computer and, you know, open his own bank account and move money around and be completely nonchalant about joining the enterprise and the way that the parents talk about it in front of their kids are super nonchalant about it. Mm-hmm. There were so many times I watched this show, Kevin, where I was like, if we had a money laundering business, like this is exactly how we would be. We just talk about it in front of our kids. That's how we are. Yeah, which is also why we'd be dead. But <laughs> <laughs> Toby, do you at least performance-wise enjoy the young people on this show as much as I do? Yeah, I, I mean, I think I, Ruth, I think is is outstanding. Yeah, agreed. I guess I, I disagree with your prediction of my assessment in being that I don't, I wouldn't like it and find it unrealistic. I mean, the whole thing is unrealistic. Yes. <laughs> I mean, the, the whole thing show. is based around this <laughs> fantasy that a middle class family can like totally cope with the Mexican drug cartels and, you know, the the redneck opium growers and the Kansas City mob and Missouri legislature and the police. It's like, so it's all this, it's just this big fantasy. What was smart about what they did is it went from being the fantasy of Marty, you're a middle-aged, you know, accountant, but you could totally do this action adventure stuff using your knowledge and and your guts. And now they've moved it to the entire family and saying your entire family could like be dealing with it. There was a point at which I was like, just send them to a freaking boarding school. Mm. Like there's no reason for them to be in the house with you. Like, like in the Get Americans. them the hell out of there. <laughs> but that's not the deal. I mean, the whole thing is about how as a family they can pull together and sort of be on equal terms with these like criminal kingdoms. You have to kind of check what you understand as being the reality of like if my family for some reason started messing with a Mexican drug cartel, we would be killed very quickly yes. and without remorse. Yes. But you have to get past that to enjoy the show. Which, but but didn't you yeah, think I mean I, I, I thought one of the most clever things to happen this season, you know, see that their daughter really struggle with the morality stuff. I mean, she's struggling with it. I think one of the reasons that, that I do like the show is that there is not exposition around everything. And her relationship with Wyatt, you know, this kid living in a like, marginalized like trailer on the side of the lake who it, like lives in a completely different way than she does, I really think informs sort of her character development. And I love, loved the scene at the dining room table when... 
she's talking to her parents. We're talking about their criminal enterprise, and they get super pissed at her when she says, "I stole a book." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> They're talking about laundering money. Yeah, yeah. And if you have, you know, teenagers, the fight that she and her mom have is just like so painfully relatable, where you just feel like. I am messed up, you're messed up, but at some point you have to listen to me and you won't. I mean, Laura Linney is also just completely knocks it out of the park on this show. Let's, let's be real. Let's be real. Yeah. All right. So, uh, Laura Bricker, I know you have thoughts about our FBI friend, Agent Petty. He had an interesting demise this season, an interesting story arc. What do you think about that? Yeah. Well, I have to say in the beginning, like, you know, the first couple episodes, I'm like, I hate this guy. Oh, God, I hate this guy. Like, he was like, to me, almost like the villain. And I'm like, how bad is it that I'm rooting for the people that are committing all this criminal activity against the person who's there trying to put an end to it? But Mm. as his character kind of progressed and, you know, He ends up kind of deciding he's going to go take care of his mother. You see this very sort of tender scene where he goes to see his mother who, I don't know if she was terminally ill and taking drugs or she was just a drug addict or what was going on with her. But when you you think he's finally leaving and you're like, oh, good, he's finally leaving. And then this tragic end occurs at the hands of Rue's father. My impression of that character definitely changed and evolved through the season. And I definitely um, went from hating him to kind of, he's he's not half bad. And there was also some irony in the location where he met his end, which was where he had started his affair with the brother of the man who ultimately killed him down by the river fishing. Jeez, Laura, I couldn't disagree with you more. I think Agent Petty is a psychopath, and I hated him from beginning <laughs> to end. I, I felt bad for him. After he was going to help his mother, didn't you feel some sympathy? Well, I, I probably would feel more had he not behaved so psychotically. And I, I think about the way he talks to his partner, who he used to have the affair with, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. and how he throws that in his face over and over and over again, and just like his sort of lack of... I don't know. I mean, I think what's and really... the other guy's not really in his league. <laughs> No. He's like so above Petty. (laughs) But I felt like he finally, it's like he finally had a turnaround and he's now he's going to get whacked. Um, Yeah. Well, you can't escape this town apparently. It's like a Stephen King town. You just can't get out. It is. Oh my God. Now there's one other thing that I noticed this season. I don't know if anyone else picked up. I felt like the role of women in this season definitely sort of superseded where it was before. I mean, you had obviously Ruth, you had Wendy, you had Darlene Snell, Mm -hmm. the badass lady up on the hill. You had the attorney from Chicago. I felt like this was definitely a season of badass women, more so than season one. Well, except for sad, odying Rachel, who just can't get her shit together to... Yeah. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> Anyone ever figure out what her relationship is with that kid who works at her restaurant? I mean, I... Tuck. I yeah, is he, he's not her son. I mean, it was sort of the direction we were led in last year, but like... Yeah. She's like, I came back for him, and then you literally never see him again. <laughs> except when he was like... I think when he she OD'd, wasn't he like, you need help, or she needs help, or something? Yes, that was pretty much yeah. it. Poor Tuck. Yeah. One scene mm-hmm. in the whole damn series. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. So a lot of deaths. Uh, Toby, do you think that this show can recover with a third season what, after offing basically half of its cast? Do you think that it's, like, it's going to be a, a remaking when they come back for season three, or do you think that we are going to see some shark jumping in uh, the Lake of the Ozarks. Yeah, I mean, it's obviously going to be something to do with the Kansas City mob, then like Wyatt figuring out what's going on. Yeah. And I think just, you know, the idea that Wyatt would have to pay tuition at a state school. (laughs) He had such a good essay. He had a good essay. 
and he lives in a trailer on the lake. Right. I think I think he was probably going to get some merit money. Just going to throw that out there. <laughs> Pell Grant. I hope he does. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, let's do that thing we do. Let's go around the horn and let our listeners know. Should they check out season two of Ozark on Netflix? Should they binge it? Should they skip it? Should they watch a couple episodes and decide for themselves? <laughs> thumbs up or thumbs down? Laura Bricker, I'm going to start with you. I'm going to go with thumbs up. I, uh, I did binge most of it. I watched like four episodes during the week. And then yesterday I sat down and watched like the last six episodes. I even missed the benefit softball game my husband was in because I didn't want to stop watching it. So, <laughs> Oh, Fireman Ken. All right, Toby, what about you? Thumbs up or thumbs down on season two of Ozark on Netflix? Uh, yeah, it's not perfect, but it was definitely, I enjoyed it. So thumbs up. I'm also going to give it a thumbs up. It's, again, not perfect, but I don't necessarily think season one was perfect either. Mm-hmm. But I love the show. It has a lot to do with the actors that are in it. It has a lot to do with things that they're trying to do, uh, unconventional relationships between parents and kids. I love the atmosphere and the setting. I love the hillbilly gothic, as you say, Kevin. Um, So, yeah, I'm going to give it a thumbs up. Kevin, what about you? Yeah, I'm also a thumbs up. I'll watch anything that has Ruthie swearing at somebody else. (laughs) She's Uh, a lot of that. She got a lot of that. It's not as good, I think, as season one, but it's definitely a worthy sequel and I think it's definitely worth the uh, the 10 episodes you put into it and remember you can't run a world-class money laundering operation if you're not good at math mm. and to get your kids a good head start on math <laughs> sign them up for a revolution math is that what Jonah did <laughs> no he was pretty good but sometimes your kids need a little help right yes, what do you do? do you sometimes you take them to a tutor one of those after-school places yep. and they don't like to go it's like the same old boring worksheets and then you gotta like Drive them there. Move heaven and earth to get them there. We work early. Back. It's pain in the butt. Yeah, it, it is. Revolution Math offers live online classes with math exercises designed to heighten their skills just in time for the new school year. Revolution Math classes are led by real tutors online in face-to-face interactive classrooms. So they just very much like Skype. Yeah. You, you go right in. You, you know, okay, you pick the time that works for your family, too. Nice. And uh, each week, the students will develop their math skills with their friends. And it's a small class. It's like three or four kids, and you, you, they all go at the same time. Nice. And so you have, you know, the, you know, the same cohorts as you're going through it. And, um, you know, it creates a lasting enthusiasm for math just before the school year begins using Revolution Math. Now, uh, I talked to the guys at Revolution Math. You did? Yeah. They really like this product. We like it, too. But I said, guys, there's a problem. I don't like the math on the deal, Mm -hmm. the deal you're offering. It's not good enough. They said, what do you mean, Kevin? I said, listen to me. This is Crime Writers On (laughs) audience. You got to give them the best they said. They said, Kevin, you're pushing back. I said, this is happening today, gentlemen. And they said, okay, fine. How about this? Wow. Okay, Marty Bird. That's right. (laughs) You can enroll your student today and get your first month of classes for only $1. Wow. At revolutionmath.com slash crime. I just learned all this stuff from Ozark. Yeah. And now I'm telling our sponsors, you got to like, you know, step up to the plate here for our audience. What was was that URL again? Well, let me tell you, it's revolutionmath.com slash crime. Crime. So get your first month of classes for just $1. That's math you can remember. $1 at revolutionmath.com slash crime. Crime. What else you got, Kevin? Well, support for today's show also comes from Beta Brand Dress Pant Yoga Pants. Dress Pant Yoga Pants. They are Dress Pant Yoga Pants. Remember, they're not dress pants that feel like yoga pants. They're Dress Pant Yoga Pants. They're not yoga pants that look like dress pants. They are Dress Pant Yoga Pants. They are sui genius in and of themselves, first of their creation. Dress Dress Pant pant Yoga yoga Pants. pants. They're the most comfortable pants you'll ever wear to work. Am I right, Rebecca? They're the most comfortable pants I've ever worn to work. I love my Dress Pant Yoga Pants. You know, they have a faux zipper and pockets, mm-hmm. so front button, belt loop, it lo- makes you look sharp, professional. Everything dress pant yoga pants should have. 
Yeah, but you know, they come in boot cut, straight leg, crop, leggings, a variety of colors. So you look professional and you feel great. Yes. Start wearing your Beta Brand dress pant yoga pants by visiting betabrand.com. Use our code CRIME. Crime. You'll get 20% off of yours. Millions of women agree that these are the most comfortable pants you'll ever wear. Do you agree, Rebecca? I agree. I love my dress pant yoga pants so much. So much that what? So much that I'm going to wear them tomorrow. Okay, perfect. (laughs) Now, if you don't have your pair, get it at betabrand.com. That's B-E-T-A-B-R-A-N-D.com. Use our code CRIME to get 20% off your dress pant yoga pants. Dress pant yoga pants. Get them today. Dress pant yoga pants. Dress pant yoga pants. (laughs) (laughs) Moving on. The podcast network that brought us Dirty John offers another story of a dubious physician and the lives he changed. Dr. Death recalls the case of surgeon Christopher Dunch, a doctor who performed a string of botched surgeries across Texas while the system was unable or unwilling to stop him. Imagine you're struggling with back pain for months. No one can tell you what's wrong. Then you find a doctor. And the words that he said that I wanted to hear was, I can fix you. And, you know, those are magic words. I was in pain and somebody, a neurosurgeon, said I could fix you. You trust he'll take care of your problem. Nothing but good reports and a list of accolades that were two pages long. When you talk to him, he's engaging. He seems very intelligent. He's witty. He's charming. He'd always talk about, I'm going to be a doctor. But he has this dark side that he likes to keep separate and hidden from everybody else. Reporter Laura Beale, an award-winning health and science journalist and vocal twin to Mary Steenburgen, promises a six-part investigation not only into Dunch's actions, but also into a healthcare system that does more to protect doctors than it does to protect patients. Now, we will be talking about plot points from the first three episodes of Dr. Death, which, by the way, is the most popular podcast in America right now. If you would like to jump to our spoiler-free review, look at the show notes, go to the time code indicated, and you will just get our thumbs up and thumbs down. Review. All right. Wondery is promoting Dr. Death as the successor to Dirty John, running a preview in its feed, a similar art, similar sort of rock and roll sensibility in the theme song. Laura, do you think this show shares DNA with Dirty John? I mean, there's certainly a lot of similarities in terms of, you know, it's in a medical field. It's a guy that seems very promising to people at first blush, but yet he's leading a double life. He's not who he says he is. People are fooled, yada, yada, yada. Um, but I don't think it's it's totally the same thing. I mean, I can see similarities, but I think in this case, I feel like the consequences are a lot more serious than just bilking this woman out of her money, which was, you know, in Dirty John. And I feel like there's going to be you know, a story that has a lot of larger ramifications. So I, I think there are similarities. I can see, you know, it is the same kind of story, but not totally. I think that the podcast shares more in terms of DNA with Dirty John in the storytelling respect, more so than the content respect. Yeah. It's very linear. It's very much structured like a book. And Dirty John was the same way. You get a chapter by chapter, you know, mm-hmm. complete story and then the backstory of a person told in a linear way. It's it's very much structured like a true crime book, right, Kevin? It yeah, it is. And I, I feel very much like you could you can sense the professional journalist doing a podcast. 
as opposed to a podcaster doing an investigation. Right. It kind of feels like that. Very solid, the way that Dirty John was. Yep. It's pulpy, though, in the same way that Dirty John it was. Is. It has a sort of pulpy... Uh, hooky kind of like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Toby, what do you think about, you know, the style of podcast here? Um, the Dr. Death, Jer- Dirty John sort of genre of podcasting. And, and do you see comparisons between the two listening to this? Yeah, I do. You know, there's a strange feel to it, kind of. And I, I don't know if it's the delivery that she has and then the guy who does the commercials has. Mm. It's hard to get past that. But Beyond that, I mean, I think it's similar in that they found a story that's pretty compelling, and then they've obviously done the work needed to be able to tell it with enough detail and sort of uh, vibrancy so that it makes for something you want to listen to, certainly. We have to talk about the ads for a second. We just have to. <laughs> okay. The promo codes for everything Bizarre. on the show is death, or the URL <laughs> is death. And so one of my favorites is ZipRecruiter.com slash death. Uh, you have HelixMattress.com slash death. death. <laughs> <laughs> it's your deathbed. I mean, you're not going to forget it, right? No. I mean, it's not like it's not as snappy as crime. No. Promo code crime. That's true. That's true. Remember when Crime Town came out and like- We were so pissed. We were so pissed, but we still like were able to get crime for a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. We, have the, we staked a claim to crime. That's right. <laughs> um, I know, I, Kevin, I want to talk to you about the production because mm-hmm. Wondery, obviously they have a range of podcasts that they do, but this is like definitely like, like Dirty John, Wondery partnering with a journalism outlet or a journalist to do a show. And I think that Laura Beale, her writing and her delivery is, is earnest and pretty straight. Wondery does, I'm going to take the, take the theme song out. They have these distinctive theme songs, which I really like. But their actual sort of mixing and foley and, you know, use of music is very on the nose with these stories. And it sort of lends itself to that. They almost have like an investigation discovery sort of feel sometimes when you're listening to it with like she'll it should be tense they play music that's tense and, yeah but they but they, yeah. they play music that's like she says something and it's like cue the ominous music mm-hmm. and then the ominous music comes in for most of his career dr henderson has focused exclusively on the back it wasn't unusual for him to get asked to help with a complicated spinal case but this call this call was different But I had never been called in by the administration to take over the care of a patient. Or there's a scene where she's talking about a surgery and in the background all of a sudden you hear that that she'd been taken into intensive care just as Dunch was scheduled to begin operating on Mary Eford. Yeah. Okay, there's a couple of things that I could have, I I don't think were necessary. Yeah, yeah, there were sort of unnatural Inserted sound effects, mm-hmm. you know, things like, you know, right in the beginning, he's like, count back from 10. You know, it's like you hear it in the, the promo trailer. It was like right up front. It's like, you know, imagine you're, you know, going into surgery or whatever. And I don't think it's necessary, especially with something that this strong. I would just say some of the sound design, I think, is um, cheesy. That's how I Maybe, would describe yeah, it. I mean, yeah, because I just feel like it's unnecessary. Yeah, that's how I feel about it, too, because yeah. I think it's a very strong show. So I'm not like... Just imagine going to a steakhouse, getting a very nice steak and a whole lot of parsley <laughs> placed on the on the plate. And you're like, this, right. oh, I don't need all this. Right, and yeah. it's not faker. I mean, they don't need it to enhance it because they have the story. And the places where they do some sort of like fakery stuff just to sort of enhance kind of what's going on. It's like, okay, so we're at his birthday party. When was the first time you remember seeing Christopher Dunch used illegal drugs was that his 
birthday party. And immediately you hear the bass yeah, drop with yeah. the club sound effects. And it's like, no. I mean, I think there are ways to do that where you can do it with light touch. and But they do it with everything. Mm-hmm. Everything is illustrated. Mm-hmm. And I think that if one or two things were illustrated here and there, it would yeah. be fine. Maybe you're trying to figure out a way. I mean, if you're, if you're the, the sound producer, you're like, well, we don't, we don't have a lot of natural sound of things. You didn't, like, you know, do the drive test. Yeah. We have a lot of interviews with people. And right. we want to make this... Um, sound interesting from an audio perspective. And so I think they're trying with, you can do music, but you know, some of it, I don't know. Some of it's too on the nose. A little too on the nose. I will say to me, I have come to think of that as the wondery sound and maybe I'll get used to it. I mean, it could just be that. It's just Mm -hmm. style because I come from the public radio stuff. Mm -hmm. That's what we listen to and this is very different. It's Um, a lot of bass. A lot of bass. Yeah. (laughs) A lot of trip hop. I have to say, (laughs) me personally, I was so enraged by the story, I didn't even notice the sound. Good. Rage walking has returned Ah. um, to my life, and I was like, as I was walking around town, just like, oh my God, I I think I gasped. I I can't even believe what I'm hearing um, as I was walking around. So, Laura, tell me what you think about the um, really gruesome descriptions of these botched surgeries. You know, she gets into detail like uh, he was supposed to be screwing something into the spine and instead he's just drilling screws into the muscles around. I mean, it's it's pretty intense, right? Yeah, that's when my rage walking happened. I was listening to it and I'm just It was so horrific, but I think that that level of detail actually really worked in this situation because it really illustrated how incompetent and how badly botched these surgeries are. Because you hear hear about times when, when something happens in a surgery and it goes awry, but when you hear the level of detail and just the level of like just gross neglect and incompetence that happened... It's horrific. Like the, the, there were times when I was listening to this, I would actually stop walking and just stand there and be like, "Oh my god!" I like these poor people and that guy Jerry that was friends with them. I mean, that was just absolutely—you really couldn't believe that somebody could do something that badly. So I think the level of detail it was extremely graphic, and that was what stopped me a lot as I was listening to it because I was like, "Oh, <laughs> oh god." You know, I do. Now, Toby, this podcast is also promising a larger story, and I think we're getting hints of it. Episodes one, two and three. First episode sort of details a couple of the botched procedures. Second episode goes into some history. We get the Jerry story, kind of a little bit of Dunch arriving in Texas backstory. Third episode, we start to get some of the maybe systemic issues here. And we are promised this is going to be a health care story in addition to just a criminal story. Do you have hope that this podcast is going to deliver on that, given what we've heard so far? The fact that the reporter is a healthcare reporter, that's mm-hmm. her background. Mm-hmm. She's not like on the crime beat or anything. My, my sense would be is that she has a health care issue that she wants to expose and has found sort of an exemplary case that makes that point. Mm. So that, that would be sort of my intuition about what her kind of goal is Mm -hmm. and that it's hard to make a podcast that's going to be number one about flaws in the healthcare system. Right. What you do is you find an outrageous story that illustrates it. And, and so that would be, you just, just, you know, from what little I know of her background, that that would be sort of my expectation as to what's going to happen at the end is that it's, you know, a little bit like uh, what Madeline Barron has done somewhat, which is to illustrate larger problems through a single case that that sort of demonstrates those issues. 
what this reminded me of as I was listening to this is we had a very high profile case that happened at our local hospital with a guy who he wasn't a doctor. He was like, um, what was he? Was he a med tech? I think he was he was a, a surgery tech or nurse and his name was David Kwiatkowski. So we had we had a case in our local hospital and this is somebody that was um, assisting with surgeries, cardiac surgeries, but he was actually diverting drugs. And what happened in that case, and it, it ended at our hospital because that's where it all came to light what had happened. But after this guy was arrested, it turned out that he had been going all around the country doing this. And he would get fired and he would move on to another hospital. And there was no like national database to track where somebody was going if they had any kind of misconduct. So that was on, you know, a level of somebody who wasn't a doctor, but somebody who was clearly impacting patient outcome. In this case, I think where she's going with this, it seems you've got a doctor who is clearly really incompetent, doesn't give a shit about his patients, doesn't even care when he like paralyzes his best friend. And these hospitals are just passing him off. And they're not communicating with each other because they're like, it's not our problem anymore. We got rid of him. But, you know, and I think that might you know have to do with like, you know, malpractice insurance and lawsuits and, and not wanting to be liable. But at the same time, where I hope she's going is that she's going to show that, you know, these large corporate hospitals and these these big healthcare centers are basically looking out more for themselves in certain cases than the patients. And had somebody spoken up about this guy and gone public, people may not have died. Right. Now, I I think we should clear up like this guy, Kwiatkowski, he wasn't just diverting drugs. He was using the needles and then they were using the needles on the patients and the patients were getting hepatitis and dying. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So he was responsible for a ton of deaths because of his drug issues and his the way he was doing it in particular was was pretty bad. Kevin, I have a question for you. Mm -hmm. How much cocaine and vodka do you keep in your desk at work? (laughs) Just the desk or uh, the filing cabinet, too? Yeah, zero. How much sex do you have with your girlfriend on the couch in your office? (laughs) How many times have you worn... How many times have you worn the same clothes to work three days in a row while you're performing in a sterile operating theater? Uh, Never, but I'd break it up over those five days. (laughs) One of the most interesting things to me is uh, actually what, what takes place in the third episode is we hear about because I've been curious about this training situation because we do hear and I think that we're all familiar with the story of you go to work and there's somebody horrible there and then you remember the amazing reference they got when you hired them and mm-hmm. you're like how did that happen Yeah, and we have good friends who are doctors one of our best friends is a surgeon and we kind of know what he has to go through all the time just to be able to do his work like when he switched from one job to the other like he had his affidavit signed and I like had to notarize them for him and all that stuff this guy went to medical school ostensibly. People are saying he had this great training, and it turns out like he performed like fewer surgeries than somebody would do like in a couple weeks in medical school. Yeah, this is the part of the story I really would like to hear is how he got moved along um, after having performed only what fewer than a hundred surgeries. Fewer than a hundred. When um, you know the other surgeon is like a you know he did like twenty five hundred. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, I would wonder uh, about that part. In a way, I can see the he was bad at this hospital and ended up going to the second hospital without the second hospital really knowing what they were getting and then going to the third, because that does happen in a lot of different professions. 
And sometimes it's they're moving them along because, you know, just because of sort of general incompetence and you're moving them along and you really can't give a bad reference. Or personnel so- issues, like human resource stuff. Yeah. And sometimes it's really it's a it's a bad act kind of I think I, you know, I'm trying to think you know like with the, with the church yeah when sometimes there's or prep a, schools or preps right the, you know it's like okay, we're moving them along we have to get them away from here and just go someplace else and we don't care who whose uh, story winds up on yeah this is what I'd like to see, see in, the, in the coming episodes is to find out a little more about how he got in this position as well as how come he kept being able to you know perform these surgeries without all the other people jumping on his back it did happen one time someone says they tried to physically intervene when he's performing the surgery i mean can you imagine well you're hopped up on cocaine you're going to be punching all those people out you know (laughs) i mean it is it'd be like the sheriff from stranger things it is it is a curiosity and as you know laura as you pointed out in your in your notes when you sent to me this is a very googleable case except that i think the information that we want is not actually available in Google searches because there's this pending like loss litigation situation. And I sort of I'm just curious about like your guys theories about what's going on with this guy. What is wrong with him? You know, is it just drug stuff? Is it mental illness stuff? I mean, I, I threw out there to Kevin tonight, like maybe he has CTE. You know, we heard he was a football player in high school because he seems to be having some sort of like degenerative situation. Laura, what do you think? I, I think he lacks the empathy gene. Completely. I think that's kind of an understatement. But I I had to, I was was listening to this when he ended up really botching the surgery on his, this guy who's basically like his closest friend from high school. And they finally find this guy who's like bitter and angry and ramming everybody with his motorized wheelchair. And it's just really sad. And they're like, "Did, did he ever apologize? Did he ever come see you? And he like came and saw him once and didn't say anything about his condition. Nothing about how sorry he felt. I just felt like, is he some sort of a sociopath? I I don't know. Um, But he's clearly lacking the empathy gene. You know, when you compare that with those stories you heard about him playing football and how he really wasn't very good at football, but he just kept trying and trying and trying and he wouldn't give up. I mean, you know what? Not everybody should be a football player. Not everybody should be a surgeon. Hmm. Just because you want to be a surgeon and you keep trying. In this case, I don't think this guy was cut out for this. It sounded like he was more of a research person. Hmm. Um, But that lack of empathy was very, very disturbing. What do you think, Toby? You think there's something degenerative here? Do you think it's addiction? I mean, obviously, we can't know. I'm asking you to just like hazard a guess of what you think is going on with this guy. Like the thing I was thinking about was there is this sort of American ideal or myth or whatever that you can do anything you want if you want it enough and you try hard enough. Like that's, that's like a thing. And and so that seems to be the way this guy kind of went about his life. Right. Rudy. Rudy. Yeah. So, so I don't know if he's like, if I, you know, if I really want it, I really, really try, I can be a really good surgeon. You can try really hard, but if you don't have like the basic qualifications to be a surgeon, you, you shouldn't be, Trying and failing again and again at surgery is different than like being a walk-on for the Colorado State football team. Yeah. It seems like he's carrying on this sort of mode of the way he acts and, and, and tries to, you know, reach his aspirations from the football field and wrestling and whatever. And he apparently sucked at all of them to the surgery. So Something tells me he'd be really bothered if he heard that you said he sucked at those things. <laughs> well, everybody else says he sucks at them. I mean, I'm sure he'd come over to my house and be like, oh, I, I think I've got it down yeah. now. So I don't exactly know, you know, obviously, whether it's, this is all because he's doing drugs or because there's something else. But there's one story that is kind of actually enlightening to me in the opposite way that it was 
presented. The story about him doing the football drill mm. at practice. He didn't get it right and asked everybody, can we do it again? And he doesn't get it right and can we do it again? And, you know, come back the next time, says, Coach, can we do that again? And it's portrayed as like he, he'll just, he's, he's persistent and he'll do it and he'll work till he gets it right. But to me, you know, it, being there's no I in team, it's also a very selfish way of acting. Yeah. When you're trying to work cohesively as a team, it's very much about everybody stop. I need to do this. Right. Yeah, where he certainly had that sort of stick to and that he applied it and all these, and like, say, well, maybe he's just still trying to get, you know, the surgery right. And he's still in there, you know, just, <laughs> with a little screwdriver, you know, trying to fix the uh, the thing. And so I, I think that it just, he's just so self absorbed. Yeah. And that seems to be like how I interpret his reaction to Jerry having been paralyzed and, you know, these other things. It just, it's, it's, it's about him. Yeah. I mean, it's very telling that when he's challenged, you know, or when he's, you know, people are asking him his qualifications, he'll say, I challenge you to find anything bad about me on the Internet. You won't find it. <laughs> like, that's actually a measure of quality or something. Like, you can't just buy, you can't just get Google, you can't pay them to, like, lower your results, which, by the way, you can. You can pay for that. You can really? pay to, sure. Oh. <laughs> uh, and, you know, yeah, it's crazy. And it's, and I think that your take on the football thing was exactly my take is you're wasting everybody's time. Like, nobody wants to do this with you. No one mm-hmm. wants to make practice about you. Rudy didn't do that to his teammates at Notre Dame. He didn't make them go out with him in the rain and run those stupid drills or whatever oh, it was Rudy. he did. <laughs> All right, well, let's do that thing we do then and give our thumbs up or thumbs down review to the mega popular podcast, Dr. Death. Should our audience check it out or not? Laura Bricker, I'm going to start with you. What do you think? Yes. I, you know, it's very, very disturbing, but I like it. Um, I like the way she tells the story. I like the people that she has access to that she interviews. She's got doctors that used to work with him. She's got patients who had botched surgeries, people that had intimate relationships. So I say um, give it a listen and um, it'll get your step count up because rage walking is making a comeback. (laughs) (laughs) Toby Ball, what do you think? Thumbs up or thumbs down? for what you've listened to so far on Dr. Death. I'll give it a thumbs up. I, I, th- I think it's it's been good so far, and I, I'm optimistic about the second half of it. Uh, I'm going to give it a thumbs up, too. You know, despite my concerns about the fairly dramatic production style that this podcast company does, things being a little too on the nose, a little too illustrative at times, uh, there is a story inside the story here. I don't know if Laura Beal plans to go there or not, but what I'm getting out of it is the unbelievably patriarchal world of men that these surgeons live in and the testosterone fueled competition and the one-upsmanship and how the only women's voices we hear in the podcast are through uh, recordings of depositions because you know the women weren't comfortable being interviewed they're they're the side characters they're the nurses they're the girlfriends and it's great that a woman reporter is the one telling the story and peeling back the layers on this crazy competitive hyper masculine world of neurosurgery in Texas. So I'm really enjoying it. It's pulpy. It's fun. It's a little soapy. And it's really gross. And uh, those are all really good. And I mean those all in really good ways. And the journalism is really, really solid. So thumbs up for me. What about you, Kevin? Yeah, I'm also a thumbs up. I'm looking forward to, um, you know, the future episodes. I want to know a little more about what's been making this guy tick. I want to hear from the nurses because they always know what's happening. They're always on their feet. And they deserve a comfortable pair of shoes. They deserve Rothy's. (laughs) Rothy's shoes are stylish, sustainable, and comfortable enough for everyday wear anywhere. Rothy's is the everyday flat for life on the go. They have three fashionable styles, the flat, 
the point and the loafer, and they come in amazing colors. And they are the softest shoe that you'll put on your feet. You know, they're made from recycled plastic water bottles. Yeah, they're fantastic. And they're machine washable. Uh, Laura, you really love your Rothy flats, don't you? I do. I have to tell you that um, my shoe wardrobe prior to this was not too exciting. I have flip-flops in summer and clogs in the winter, and I love these Rothy's because not only are they cute, they come in all sorts of colors, they're super comfortable, um, but they kind of, you can wear them with things that you can dress them up, you can dress them down, and I get so many compliments on them. Everyone's always like, are those the water bottle shoes? They're great. I like that I can wash them. Right now, Rothy's has an amazing deal for our listeners. You use code CRIME, CRIME to get free shipping, no minimum. That's free shipping and free returns and exchanges on your Rothy's shoes when you go to Rothy's, R-O-T-H-Y-S dot com and enter CRIME. CRIME. This is a no-brainer. Shoes that are comfortable, stylish, and sustainable. Get yourself a pair of shoes, rothys.com, promo code CRIME. Crime. Get this deal while it lasts. I like to imagine all of our very fashionable listeners, the minute Laura Bricker said, in the summer I wear flip-flops, in the winter I wear clogs. I was thinking, I, we got to have a talk. <laughs> and they all clutch their pearls. All of our very fashionable listeners were like, what? What? I know. I'm super boring. <laughs> all right. What else you got, Kevin? Well, I think we need to send Laura a FabFitFun box. Yes. The seasonal subscription box delivered four times a year with full-size fashion, beauty, home, fitness, and wellness products. You can get it for just $49.99 a box. These are like full-size products, no little samples, you know. Samples are for suckers. Samples are for suckers. This isn't meant to be like, you know, brought through uh, TSA. Right. You know, we got to have more than three ounces worth of That's right. some of this you great stuff. You got to check this box. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> the fall box is coming out, and this is what's in it. Two Glam Glow Bubble Sheet Masks, a Beauty Blender, a Simply Whimsical Set of Two Tea Towels, a Skin & Co. Roma Blue and Capri Shower Gel, and much more. Sign up for Fab Fit Fun today to get your fall box. The Fab Fit Fun Fall Box is in limited supply, and these boxes always sell out. So use our code CRIME, Crime. to get $10 off your first box. Go to Fab fitfun.com and sign up and start getting the box for a life well lived. Use promo code CRIME, CRIME to get $10 off your first box. That's over $200 for only $39.99. Go to fabfitfun.com Use code CRIME and get CRIME. $10 off your first FabFitFun box. You send those to one of Lily at college. What else you got, Kevin? Uh, are you picky about what you use in your home? We are here. Oh yeah. That's why <laughs> Have you met me? <laughs> That's why Grove believes in healthy, beautiful homes. They should be accessible to everyone. That's why they've made it so easy to get products that you can feel great about. You can find the best healthy home and personal care products, all which have been rigorously, all which have been regular, regular, rigorously, all which have been tested for health. (laughs) (laughs) All which have been carefully tested for health, effectiveness, and environmental impact. And you're in control with customizable auto shipments delivered right to your door that you can pause anytime. I really liked getting my shipment from Grove. They have brands that I like, like Method mm. and Seventh Ooh, Generation. Some of that shower spray came from that I love. Yeah. Wow. Super all great. sorts. Yeah. All sorts of great stuff. It's you, you know. Plus, I love the Method cleaners. You know that. Yeah. I'm addicted. Some nice sponges and hand towels yep. and things that are you know just feel really good about totally. getting you know sustainable. 
and you know, not with a lot of heavy perfumes. Those beautiful and, dish towels that came, those yeah. are from there. Yeah, those yes, those are from there. Wow. Those came from it, our awesome. Yeah, it, it's they have a hundred percent happiness guarantee plus free shipping. It's so easy to discover amazing and affordable natural home and personal care products with the confidence of supporting a safer environment for your family. So you can try Grove with a two-month VIP membership and a bonus gift by going to grove.co slash crime. That's crime. grove.co slash crime, not grove.com. Grove.co slash crime. crime. Grove. Grove makes it easy to have a happy, healthy home. Now it's time for my favorite part of the podcast, a little something I like to call the crime, crime of, of the week. The week. Two Connecticut lunch ladies are facing charges for allegedly skimming from the cafeteria cash register. The sisters, who are in their 70s, are accused of stealing more than half a million dollars mm. over five years, although they're expected to have embezzled even more over their 15 years in the kitchen. It's a lot of money. Coworkers say they were told by the sisters not to tally the cash drawers after each lunch. Let them do it instead. Oh, sure. <laughs> we'll take care of that. <laughs> The thefts were discovered by school district officials investigating an unrelated accounting discrepancy. After being arraigned, the lawyer for one of the suspects said she won't be the scapegoat for her sister. Mm. Sisters doing it together. (laughs) Turning on each other. Yeah. So, panel, we know the lunch ladies at this school were up to no good. What do you think kind of trouble the janitor was getting into? Laura Bricker, I'm going to start with you. Well, I have a good story for this because the uh, custodian at the old firehouse where my husband used to work ran the book. Mm. So ah. um, he did the <laughs> weekly lottery ticket purchase. And I this was after uh, Fireman Ken left and went to another fire station. It was like morning. We're waking up. The phone's ringing. I'm like, who's, whose number? He goes, I think it's Mr. Bell. So I picked up the phone. I said, is this the book? He's like, it is. I need my money. So (laughs) that's what's going on. Wow. They're running book in the back room. Now, to be completely transparent, were you playing the actual lottery? (laughs) Or were you actually playing the the book? Playing the number. No, we were playing the Powerball or whatever it is. (laughs) It wasn't even anything interesting. But uh, he takes it seriously. Hmm. All right, Toby Ball, what do you think the janitor's getting into in this school where these lunch ladies have uh, been carrying on this incredible embezzlement scheme? Uh, Organ harvesting. No. (laughs) (laughs) That's not a vagina in the refrigerator wrapped in newspaper. (laughs) In a paper bag. It's a kidney. (laughs) Kevin, what do you think the janitor's up to? Uh, He's been drawing the dicks. There you go. All right, we should probably end it on that note. But before we do, Laura Bricker, do we have a cat of the week this week? We have a big cat appreciation day. It's September 1st. September 2018 was Ginger Cat Appreciation Day. Mm. Thanks to Michelle, who alerted me to this because I have two ginger boys, Felix and Rocky, now. So I had so many nice people send in pictures of their orange cats to me. Colleen has two orange cats. Laura in Texas is still trying to get rid of Buddy, who has uh, FIV, I think. Nellie has another ginger boy. What do you mean she's trying to get rid of him? Um, well, it's a cat that she found. <laughs> oh, okay. So she's trying, <laughs> she's to, find trying to find him a home. Okay. She's made a nice little poster. Wow. You made her sound like a monster for a second. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no. He's chill. Paging He's orange. Dr. Death. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, we've got some Irish ginger cats, George and Garfield. Mm. So in, in honor of the ginger cat day, thanks to everyone who sent them in. My own not so smart ginger cat Felix today tried to take down a woodchuck. So um, they're nice cats, sometimes not too bright. Cat people are freaking weird, huh, Kevin? Yeah. Weird. <laughs> weird. <laughs> All right, Laura Bricker, if people want to send you their cats or dogs, could we please have a dog at some point soon? Okay. Or yeah. iguanas or fish or birds or other kinds of pets? for cat slash pet of the week how can they find you on twitter at laura bricker and toby ball people want to reach out to you on twitter how can they find you what's your handle at toby ball and h and kevin flynn people want to share with you their real life stories of janitors doing organ harvesting or dick drawing how can they find you online i'm at kevin p flynn and you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Reb Lavoy. You can also follow the show on Twitter at Crime Writers On. And I encourage you to join the amazing community in our official Crime Writers On Facebook discussion group. We also have a regular old Facebook page, by the way. Go to our website, CrimeWritersOn.com, to sign up for our awesome newsletter. Kevin, the newsletter is really super awesome these days. Thank Great. you. I won't be doing it anymore. Support the show on Patreon at Patreon.com slash Partners in Crime Media, and you will get access to the Balls Deep Dive book club podcast up next the fact of a body you can also get a free month of stitcher premium if you go to stitcherpremium.com slash crime and use the code crime when you'll join you get access to our spinoff show married with podcast on which kevin and i dispense advice of all kinds including relationships our theme song was performed by the new york sky jazz ensemble and used with permission this show was recorded in the yoga loft above the bodega in bay st louis mississippi studio otherwise known as studio c the closet in our basement where the old dying man who actually owns the house is living oh buddy (laughs) oh god on behalf of all the crime writers thanks so much for listening we will catch you later. later Let's do the pre-roll right now. Okay. Little Comfort is a hauntingly twisted psychological thriller by Edwin Hill. Set among Boston's elite, it introduces an unforgettable four-foot-nine investigator named Hester Thursby, whose missing person's case uncovers a trail of vicious murder and stolen identity. <laughs> <laughs> She's like that little lady on um, what's the show? The dwarf detective. Um, no, yeah, Linda Hunt? what's the one L.A. one yeah, that's got Linda like um, the little lady who's like the boss, and she's kind of like a little hobbit. Yeah, that's Linda Hunt. Yeah, my okay. grandmother knew her. Mm. Really? That's and she what was, was in uh, the Year of Living Dangerously. I and she think. was in Dune. Okay, you want to try again? Yeah, little <laughs> it's little comfort. Now I get the title. <laughs> <laughs> okay, can you do Pardon. this or not? Yeah, I can do Do I it. need to do it? Think about dead kittens or something. Little Comfort is a hauntingly twisted psychological thriller by Edwin Hill. Set among Boston's elite, it introduces an unforgettable four-foot-nine investigator named Hester Thursby. <laughs> now you're laughing. I can't stop. <laughs> <laughs> this is horrible. Now the brilliant and conflicted Hester is on their trail. What is she conflicted about? <laughs> Being short? <laughs> I've, like, got a, I've got a lot of questions. No. She I think she's have... conflicted about having to put the poison up really high in the cabinet. Oh, my God. Because now even yeah. she can't get it. I don't think being 4'10 makes you a little person. Oh, she's, like, she's short like a well, gymnast. She's 4'9". Four, four, that's different. Yeah. She's like Carrie Strug. She's not like... <laughs> 
Harry shrugged. Yeah. Private investigator. That's <laughs> the fucking funniest. The best was when you um, you having a you can tell you're trying not to laugh. You do your super earnest like reporter voice. Mm-hmm. You're like little comfort. <laughs> <laughs> oh god. All right, that's a good way to start the show. Mm. Now I'm now I'm warmed up. Grove helps you find the best non-toxic home and personal care products and delivers them right to your door. With customizable auto shipments, you can pause or cancel anytime. You're in control. Find out how committed Grove is to its customers. With a 100% happiness guarantee and free shipping, Grove makes it easy to discover amazing and affordable natural home and personal care products with the confidence of supporting a safer environment for your family. Right now, you can try Grove with a two-month VIP membership and a bonus gift by going to grove.co slash crime that's grove.co slash crime grove makes it easy to have a happy healthy home